The year was 1996. It was two weeks before Christmas and a week before I was set to deliver my third baby. And I got a phone call. And in that phone call, I learned that my parents were going to divorce. And I immediately was thrown into a season of upheaval I never would have expected. You see, my mother suffered from chronically ill health. And I understood that when she came to stay to help with the baby, she would continue to stay. And I would care for not just my newborn, but also for my mother. That night after my husband, Tim, and I put to bed our six-year-old daughter and our four-year-old son, I fell into a fitful sleep, but awakened in the wee hours of the morning. And unable to fall back to sleep, I wrapped myself in a blanket and walked downstairs and sat at my desk in the living room where I had met God many times before. And I met him that night. As I stared out the window in the cold December sky, he spoke to me. But he didn't give me words of encouragement. He didn't reassure me of his presence. He didn't tell me everything was going to be okay. He didn't give me a vision of the baby I was going to hold in just a few days. Instead, he asked me a question. And this is what he asked me. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? It's a question we're going to consider today in our time in the Word. And so as we begin, will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the privilege that is ours to join in this place, to gather around your word. But Lord, it's all an empty exercise unless your Holy Spirit empowers our time together, empowering me as your servant, Lord, to speak truths that you have prepared in my heart, and now I ask for that empowerment to deliver, and for your power, Lord, to invite those who listen to truly hear to not just let the words and the sounds pass over their ears, but may they penetrate a softened heart. And may you all instruct us that we might walk more closely with you when we leave. We thank you, Lord, and ask this all in our Savior's name. Amen. Amen. You know, we often describe our relationship with God as a faith journey, and it is. The scriptures are clear, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so those of us who desire to follow God know that we do so in faith. But having faith is having trust, because trust and faith go hand in hand. Having one is having the other. They're partners. And as our lives are marked by increasing maturity and depth, as our level of trust in him increases, our faith in him will serve as a ready guide to show us the way to go as we walk along with Jesus. Today in our study of Proverbs, we're going to explore a verse that is very familiar to many of you, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. You might have learned it as a song when you were a little one in Sunday school, or maybe you've committed it to memory as a life verse. Well, it's a good choice because It provides solid, overarching advice on the way to live a life of purpose, one that is directed by God. So we're going to practice it a few times in this service. So if you don't know it by heart, hopefully by the end of our time together, you will. So will you join me in reciting our verse today? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, 
and he will make your path straight. Well done. Well, it sounds pretty straightforward, doesn't it? But I have a professor friend who likes to say, in theory, theory and practice are the same, but in practice, they're not. Anybody live like that? I sure do. Because it's easy to nod in agreement as we sit here in church, as we recite this together in unison, understanding that we do want God's direction, but we have to trust. As we lean into his word, I think the first thing I see in this verse is the instruction to trust, and it's the big idea that I want us to consider today, and it's this. Direction from God is only promised to those who trust him. You see, it's a conditional promise in this verse. We must trust, and then we will receive his direction. Direction from God is only promised to those who trust him. Well, let's begin in our attempt to understand what that means by defining some terms. First, trust. Trust is the ability, the reliability, or the strength of someone or something. Notice here the instruction in the passage is to trust God, meaning his character, his word, his attributes, like his sovereignty, his power, his compassion, his mercy, his love. But we're not just instructed to trust God, but to trust him to a certain quality. Trust him with all of our hearts. So let's say it again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. <clears throat> Trusting in the Lord with all your heart means making sure he is at the top of the list. Trust in him comes before trust in yourself. Trust in the people around you. Or trust in anything in the material world that you may be tempted to put your confidence in. Or find your security in. We have to look to God first to understand our lives, not the world we're living in, not the culture, not the influencers, not the experts, not even those whose voices are the loudest in our heads. No, we must trust God first. And trust is further illustrated by the verb lean. Okay, so go with me quickly here. I'm going to put my full weight on this podium. Impressive, huh? I'm putting my faith on the in the structural integrity of this piece of furniture. You don't want to lean on something that's not going to hold you up. I don't want to lean on a piece of furniture that's going to collapse underneath me because I would go for a hard fall. No, you want to lean on something that's strong, leaning like a walking stick you use on a hike to steady your step and make sure you don't fall. And notice this instruction is not to lean on your own understanding or your own assessment or interpretation of a situation or rely on your own wisdom or understanding as you try to get yourself out of something difficult or have insight how to get somewhere that you want to go. No, we must reject all of those manners and lean instead on God alone, on his wisdom on his insight and understanding, not the cultures, not ourselves, not anybody else's. And that's really the essence of following Jesus. That's the core of our discipleship, learning how to lean and trust and walk forward. Trusting enough to follow, trusting enough to obey. Not just in our minds, 
but with our hands and our feet and our whole heart. So trusting God then becomes evident in our willingness to submit to him. Okay, here we go one more time. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Now, some translations say acknowledge him. You might have learned the verse that way. And acknowledge means to recognize the importance of something. Here, someone. But I chose the translation that you submit in this place because submit is more of an action in my mind. It's helpful as I picture submitting. I'm going to lay everything down at his feet. I'm going to surrender my control over a situation and instead ask ask for his. I want everything in my life to be subject to God's authority, which means I must submit to him. And then comes the promise. Your path will be straight. But like I said, it's easy to nod in agreement when we're right here in the comfort of the service. It's a much harder thing to do when you're in a famous Pittsburgh intersection that goes five different ways. Amen? Or your road is curving up the hill and there are no guardrails in sight. And if you make a wrong turn, you know it's a long way down. So to help us on our journey, I want to suggest we adopt the same navigation system used by the faithful who have gone before us. Their testimonies in scripture will serve as our guides and help us build a roadmap for how we too might trust in God. And as I study the scriptures, I see that those who experienced God's direction navigated using these two principles. They pursued God and they practiced patience. Pursuing God means earnestly seeking him. And the scripture says God rewards those who earnestly seek him. And we want to be rewarded with his direction, so we must earnestly seek. To be earnest means to be persistent. It means not giving up, not giving in, not checking out, but keeping at it. Remembering that our journey of faith is one that should last our whole lifetime. And it's a marathon, not a sprint. Don't forget to stop for water. Don't forget to rest along the way. Don't forget to stay engaged with the people cheering for you along the the race course. Practicing patience means you're willing to wait on God. You're not going to step out ahead of him. So when I think in the scriptures of people who exemplify these qualities, I think of the disciples. Not because they got it all right. I relate to them, in fact, because they often got it wrong. But they were willing to stay at it. They were willing to keep following. Even though they got off to a shaky start. Even though they consistently didn't understand. Even though they said and did things they shouldn't have. And they didn't say and do things they should have. Like ask clarifying questions. But I'm happy when they did ask clarifying questions. Because they're the same ones I have. And I'm happy for the insight the Lord gives us gives us through them. You see, we must never be afraid to go to God and ask him our questions. He's a good father, and he wants to show us the way. In all their mess-ups, the disciples were willing to follow. They remained soft-hearted and open to change, and they responded to Jesus' continual invitation to go deeper, all except one. 
who traded in the abundant life for 30 pieces of silver. You see, Judas, the one who turned Jesus over to those who would kill him, trusted in his own understanding. He had the privilege of traveling with Jesus, of participating in and certainly witnessing many of his greatest miracles. Like the others, he had 24-7 access to Jesus during his three years of earthly ministry. And yet Judas betrayed him. Why? Because Jesus didn't do as Judas expected. Jesus didn't fit Judas's vision of what Messiah should do or who Messiah should be. And in the end, Judas refused to submit his ways to God and stubbornly clung to his own understanding. And in the end, Judas lost much more than his money. He lost his very soul. But Peter was different. Don't you love Peter? Peter had his ups and downs. He had his missteps. But this early interaction with Jesus, as recorded in the Gospel of Luke, is indicative of the life that was to lay before him as he walked along with Jesus. Jesus, uh, Peter was an experienced fisherman, and as he began his life with Jesus, they had an interaction there on the shores of the lake Gennesaret. Luke tells us that people had gathered there, and Jesus was teaching them the word when he noticed a group of fishermen on the side. And as he finished teaching, Jesus turned his attention to those two fishermen who were washing their nets nearby. And Jesus said to Simon Peter, Now, go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked all last night and didn't catch a thing. You see, at this point, Peter had a choice. Was he going to trust in his own understanding of his craft? In his experience, in the many years that he had fished those very waters? In fact, I can imagine he thought something like, come on, Rabbi. Everyone knows you don't fish during the day. I'm not going to catch anything anyway. Besides, I fished that part of the lake all night long, and all I've got to show for it is an empty boat. But whatever he might have been thinking, whatever was going on in his head, this is what Peter did. He replied to Jesus, but if you say so, I'll let down my nets again. And this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. And a shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. What a beautiful miracle. But notice, what did Peter have to do first before he experienced the catch of a lifetime? He had to trust God. He had to take Jesus at his word and move out before he knew the outcome. When Peter moved in obedience to the word of God, it's then that he received the extraordinary gift. But what if Peter had trusted in his own experience, his own understanding, his own years of fishing? What if he had refused to put down his net and do as Jesus had instructed? Well, he certainly would have missed the great miracle. And who knows what else? There's another example of people taking God at his word and trusting. And it's recorded for us in John chapter 9. And let me set the scene. Jesus had just declared, I am the light of the world. 
And after he declared that, he moved to bring light to someone who had never experienced it before as he healed a man born blind. So after Jesus said this, to illustrate his power, he spit on the ground, made mud with his saliva, and spread the mud over the man's eyes. And he told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. You see, the man had to trust Jesus. He had to obey Jesus. And he had to take Jesus at his word and go. To receive the healing as an act of faith, he had to follow through. He had to obey. And when he did, he came back seeing. And the end of the verse says this, So the man went and washed and came back seeing. Hallelujah. And while we're inspired, perhaps, by these stories of tremendous faith and the abundance experienced by those who have gone before us and trusted God, we're looking at their stories after the resolution is already there. Who knows how much harder it is to stand there in the middle and wonder what direction God is sending you to and trust? Well, you're not alone. Dallas Willard, a tenured philosophy professor at the University of Southern California, as well as a pastor, a writer, and a beloved mentor to many, suggested that there are three things that hinder our trust in God. I would call them ideas or concepts, but more specifically, I would call them lies. Lies are one of the enemy's most potent weapons to keep us from deeper faith. And these lies are rooted in doubt. Doubt of God's character, doubt of God's power, and doubt of God's love. Because when we're in the middle of our own difficult situation, when there are boulders in the road instead of the straight before us, when the fog has mired our way, when we can't see clearly, perhaps the enemy whispers to all of us in those times, is God really able? Is God really good? And even if he is, is God really here? I wonder if Sarah and Abraham suffered from that kind of doubt and God's ability to keep his promise as they waited and waited and waited for the promised child. Was God able to answer his promise and give them a child from their own flesh and blood in their old age? I think the record's clear. Sarah especially struggled to believe that God was able. And frankly, from a human point of view, the facts were on her side. She was an old woman, long past childbearing. So it is any wonder that she did not trust and instead rested in her own understanding and sought to help God out a little bit along the way to bring his promise into fruition in her way, not his. You see, Sarah's story is a cautionary one for us because by trusting in her own understanding, she gave her servant to her husband as a substitute wife to solve the problem of not having a flesh and blood heir for Abraham. There's no record in the text that she ever sought God in prayer or went to him about her course of action. It's clear by her actions she didn't submit to him. But notice that her actions were perfectly logical according to the customs of the day. 
But we must not take the bait and rely on the wisdom of the world because the wisdom of the world, just probably I can picture Sarah's friends saying, well, this is what you should do. And she relied on their voices, not on the voice of God, who asked Sarah perhaps the same question he asked me that night. And for all of you who are listening, do you trust me? Sarah's actions might have been perfectly logical according to the customs of the day, but her decision ushered in devastation and dysfunction that ripped through her family and rippled far beyond them for generations and generations and generations. You see, Sarah got it wrong. God is able. And when she held the infant Isaac in her arms, the promised heir of their union, she understood it too. God is indeed able. And God's word declares it, Ephesians 3.20, Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Some translations say infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. More than you can imagine. And in other words, let your mind be blown with all God can do. Remember what the angel said to Mary when she learned of her role in Messiah's birth. The angel replied, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Do you believe it, saints? So is he really good? This declaration from the prophet Nahum. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. And the prophet declared this about God in the midst of terrible circumstances. And the reason he could declare God's goodness in the midst of terrible circumstances is because God's goodness is not circumstantial. God's goodness is inextricably woven into his character, into who he is. And we must learn and practice trusting his assessment of goodness enough to decouple it from our own circumstances and believe that he is good despite of what we see and feel at the moment. He is able. He alone can bring beauty from ashes and joy from sorrow. But it's my conviction he will increasingly do that in your life as you submit to him, as you obey him, and as you trust him. God's goodness shows up in so many ways. One is that he is constantly on the lookout for ways to support and strengthen those who trust him. Second Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Those who fully trust him. God is indeed good. He is truly able, and he is with us. His promises are sure. He promised never to leave us or abandon us, never to turn his back on us. I think sometimes doubt creeps in because we confuse trusting God with understanding God. And they're not the same. And when we don't understand, we need to engage our faith. We need to practice using the muscles that we're developing to become greater in the exercise of our faith. Because according to Hebrews 11, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You see, I really don't even think God expects us to understand him. 
but he requires us to trust him. Scripture is full of people who didn't understand God, but they trusted him anyway. The Samaritan woman came for water in the heat of the day, met Jesus at the well where he offered her living water, but she didn't understand. How could Jesus offer her water when he didn't even have a bucket to draw with? But John chapter 4 outlines her story and her pursuit of Jesus that changed her life that day and rippled through her whole village and brought salvation to many because she pursued Jesus. Nicodemus, a Pharisee and a member of the Jewish ruling council, didn't understand Jesus when he explained that a person must be born again. But Nick's story didn't stop there either. Nicodemus persisted, and he wrestled with Jesus' words, and in the end, it was Nicodemus who brought 75 pounds of spices to ensure that Jesus' body was prepared for burial. And even Mary and Joseph didn't understand When 12-year-old Jesus was left behind at the Passover festival, the family was two days into their 30-hour journey. And then Mary and Joseph realized he wasn't with them in the family caravan who was traveling back. They returned to Jerusalem, and they found him teaching in the temple courts. And Jesus said, why are you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And Luke 2 says this, But they did not understand what he was saying to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Mary didn't understand. But her understanding of God and her understanding of his ways grew as she trusted in his word. She remembered them. She pondered them. She meditated on them. She turned them over in her mind. And slowly but surely, God provided additional insight and understanding until she understood what he was saying to her at that moment. She trusted that God was who he said he is. She trusted in his goodness, his faithfulness, his love. And she was willing to wait for him until he opened her mind. So for us to practice patience, to practice our trust, we must be willing to take the long view like Mary. For her patience to wait on him to reveal and provide understanding is a journey we must all walk as we live a life according to God's timetable, not ours. So now that we've been inspired by those who have trusted and warned by those who didn't, Where do we go from here? In fact, how do you get there from here to where you are mired perhaps in difficult circumstances, trying to pierce through the fog with headlights that only bounce back? Well, we get there the same way the saints of old did, by pursuing him. And our pursuit of God is evidenced by our decisions and it's informed by our priorities. We pursue God not just by studying his word, but by putting what we learn into practice. In short, we obey him. We pursue him by moving forward with what we know to be true, patiently waiting for his next revelation until he provides his next instruction. You know, waiting can often feel like inaction, but waiting is actually an act of faith because to wait is to trust. 
To wait is to trust and believe that God will do or will move or will resolve or will restore or will redeem or will heal. All he will do according to his loving care in his perfect timing and in his perfect way. But we'll never access that unless we're willing to trust him. Psalm 40 says this, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on a rock. He gave me a firm place to stand. And then he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. You see, people are watching. And just as we watch the lives from the saints of old, people are watching your life right now. They're paying attention because your life is telling a story. And your decisions based on your priorities is revealing a truth about your answer to the question, do you trust him? When I heard him ask me that on that cold night back in 1996 at eight and a half months pregnant, It's not what I'd expected or frankly what I wanted to hear. But as I sat there, I thought, if God is asking, then this must be the most important question for me to answer right now. If this is the most important thing for me to settle before I move from this place, I decided that I did. And as I resolved in my heart that I truly did trust God, then somehow... All the unknowns seemed to fade from before me. Those very things that were banging around in my head just a few minutes before. And a supernatural peace flooded my heart. And I was able to climb back up the stairs and back into bed and fell asleep. I wish I could say I never had to wrestle again. And that I flew through that difficult season with ease. But I didn't. But I did remember that cold night, and I did remember that question. It was almost as if I built an altar there, and I could go back and worship and reaffirm my trust in God when the way was rocky and the storm rolled in. And as I reaffirmed that decision to trust, I had the courage to keep walking forward into the unknown. And as I did, I learned a primary lesson about trusting in the dark because I walked a lonely road of sorrow for many years, because there was more to come beyond that night. My mother died just a few years later. But God was with me, and he was patient with me. And throughout that time, he took me to a new and a deeper place because of it, and I've never been the same. Perhaps because I settled the matter that night and chose to trust him. Look, no one wants to grow through trial, but hardship can be one of the most effective teachers if we lean on him, if we submit our sorrows to his feet and we trust him in spite of the things we cannot see. As I close, I want to say that just as we've learned that disobedience can usher in unintended consequences, so too obedience will usher in unexpected blessings. We have no idea what miracles we will experience if we trust. We have no idea what provision we'll receive 
when we move out in trust. We know, have no idea the healing, the restoration, the redemption in our lives, the hope and the courage to move forward that will come as a byproduct of our determined decision to trust. He is faithful. God is able. God is good. And God is here. And saints, amen. He wants to meet with you. I don't know what intersection you're standing in now. But in a congregation this size, I know there are some tough situations. Will you heed his spirit and settle the matter now? Whether you do it quietly in your seat or you come forward at the end of the service to pray and build that altar in your mind and your heart, determined to trust, determined to obey, because you love him. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the power of your word, for the example of those who have gone before, for the opportunity now, Lord, to allow their inspirations to intersect our lives. Will you give us the courage? I pray, Father, for those who are in a difficult place. Maybe it's a job loss. Maybe it's a family crisis. Maybe it's a bad diagnosis. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's a wayward child or a broken relationship. Lord, there are so many things that force us to our knees. But in this moment, may we as a body of believers declare our trust in you alone. Help us not lean on our own understanding. Help us lean in the full reliability of your character and the promises in your word. May it be so as you ordain Jesus, as we are your servants. And we ask this all in your name. Amen. I'm going to dismiss the service in a minute. But I don't want you to rush out. If the Lord has spoken to you, I want you to seal it tonight. Seal it today, just like I did that night. We'll be waiting for you up here at the front. Will you stand now for the benediction? And receive these words of promise from Jude, verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore. Amen. 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 You are dismissed.